الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا ننهدي لهم سبولنا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون السلام على المسلمين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم If you look at life there's many ways by which you can exponentially grow something uh, that would otherwise not be possible if you tried doing it uh, individually or by its uh, by, by the standard Right? So you can take many examples of this. For instance, if a person wants to earn money, uh, they can get a job, and every single month they'll get a certain amount of income that comes in. You know, Maybe they'll make you know, $500 a month, and every month they'll accumulate that money. Um, but if a person, for instance, not that this is recommended, but if a person you know, wins the lottery, they go from having very little money to suddenly having an exponential amount of what they, their initial value was. Or they get involved in the stock market, and they purchase a stock you know, at very low price, and that, that the stock price, let's say, quadruples. And now their wealth quadruples as well, very quickly, right? So this is a scheme that many people try to get themselves involved in. Like, what is it the way that I can uh, exponentially grow what I have without putting in all, all the effort that would otherwise be required? You know, you can take this example uh, if you want to get a message across, right? You can go around and tell people one after the other after the other. You can send, you know, one text message, you know, let's say you have something you want to convey. You send a message to one person, you send that same message to another person, you send that same message to another person, and over time you'll accumulate, and that voice will, will, will spread. Or you, you, know, you tweet it, and then it reaches you know, thousands or millions of people in a matter of an hour. Right? You want to share a video, right? it goes viral. And now, uh, otherwise it would have taken you, you know, decades to get it to so many people. Uh, but with the advent of, of this, now you can get word, the word across in a matter of, of seconds, right? minutes. So this is human nature. We're always looking for ways by which we can exponentially uh, grow something or spread something uh, without the usual means uh, necessary to acquire that. Now this applies to our uh, spiritual state as well and our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, there's a standard way, and this is the way that we've been talking about for the last few years, right? That a person distanced themselves from sin that they begin to focus on Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala alone. They engage themselves in a regular routine of dhikr, and they spend as much time as possible focusing on this. Um, so we've been talking about this, right, for, for years now. And there's a degree of benefit that a person acquires from this, right? And it's really the amount of effort you put in, that's what you're going to get back. Um, but then there's also this way by which you could exponentially grow spiritually. Right, and it's kind of like this—you could say this trick. Not really, but you get the point. Uh, or this cheat code, right? Or this way of how I can go. Let's say I'm I'm climbing spiritually, and my connection to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing. But how do I go from kind of this linear to this exponential growth? And the secret lies in a very beautiful hadith of the Prophet I mean, it comes in two variations, and I'll say both of them. One, the Prophet said. The one who calls toward good, one who invites toward good, or calls toward good, 
then that person gets the same reward as the doer. And that person gets the same reward as the doer. If, I, if someone calls to work good. And another hadith comes in a different variation. That the caller to work good, more or less the same thing. The caller to work good is like the one that did that good themselves. Which means that if I want to achieve a certain goal in my deen, or I want to achieve, let's say, a certain reward in my deen, then I go ahead and uh, I go ahead and complete that act. So if I want to receive the reward of salah, I go ahead and perform the fajr prayer, and I'll get the reward of fajr prayer. But now, if I encourage someone else to pray the fajr prayer, and they begin praying the fajr prayer, now their salah comes into my account as well. And what's amazing is that it doesn't decrease their value in any way. And the Prophet said, "Mithl," right? Mithl, and it comes many times in hadith, and it comes in in the books of fiqh as well, right? It means the equivalent. Whatever that person got, you get as well. Meaning, if I invite, if I encourage 10 people to begin consist, become consistent in their pleasure prayer, now I get the reward of those 10 people. Now, think about that, right? I'm praying one pleasure salah, but I'm getting the reward of 11 people performing the pleasure salah, right? And then not only that, my pleasure salah may be inconsistent. Maybe my wudu isn't strong enough. Maybe my attention is lacking, right? So I'm not even going to get necessarily that full reward. But it's possible that one of the other 10 people that I've incl- that I put in them an inclination to pray pleasure, their salah is more pure. And as a result, their reward is more full. And then what? I get the reward of 10 full pleasure salahs, right? So if I do that to 100 people, then that's 100 pleasure salahs of reward that I get. And this is really the secret to deen. And this is secret to exponentially climbing spiritually. So then this translates into even uh, our spiritual benefit, right? If I'm working toward becoming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I put in an X amount of time and effort into my dhikr, or an X amount of time and effort into my Qur'an, and I reach a certain level, if I encourage 10 other people to also then begin to do this, now I get all of their reward in addition to mine. And if I bring 100 people, then I get the reward of 100 people, and the spiritual benefit of 100 people. Of a hundred people. And this is why you see that the that the mashaykh they grow exponentially, especially later in their in their stages. Why? Because it's not that their dhikr is any deeper than it was before, or that they're performing more salah. There's a limit to how much salah you can perform in a day or how much Quran you can recite. It's that they've reached a stage where they're just calling hundreds and thousands of people to our deen. And these people are performing these acts, and their benefit is also reaching the benefit of the person that invited them to do so. So this is how you exponentially grow. Now, the best example of this is the example from the Sahaba is Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Right? What an amazing person this was. But if you look and, and you look at how amazing he was, what was the statement the Prophet said about this? Right? About Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. That if you were to weigh the iman of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu on one side, and you were to put the iman of the rest of the ummah on the other side, the iman of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu would outweigh the iman of the rest of the ummah. The likes of Umar, the likes of Uthman, the likes, the likes of you know, Imam Ghazali, the likes of Aisha radiallahu anha. Abu Bakr's iman would outweigh all of these people collectively. Now you wonder, like, how could someone reach that state? Like, how is that possible? Like, you'd say, okay, maybe it was his ittiba', his following of the sunnah of the Prophet Yeah, he followed the sunnah to the T, right? He didn't miss a sunnah. But many other sahaba didn't miss a sunnah either, right? Okay, you could say that maybe it was his... Um, uh, maybe it was his his consistency in, in nightly prayers, right? But m- most of the Sahaba they worship through the night. 
But what was very unique about Abu Bakr anhu was his desire for other people to benefit. Right? Yeah, he had reached in his own uh, worship of Allah, in his own let's say relationship with Allah, he had reached a very close state with Allah. There's no doubt about that, right? After the prophets, next in line is Abu Bakr. We're not we're not doubting that. But why why did he reach such a high state? That, you know, it would be it would seem to be impossible based off of just a person's deeds alone. And it was because he had such a strong enthusiasm toward inviting other people to do what he was doing as well. Or to invite other people toward that which was benefiting him as well, which was a prophet Right? Like if you look at his stories of Abu Bakr and how active he was in bringing people to the Prophet recognizing that the Prophet was the source of benefit. Right at in that time and place and in that circumstance, this was the individual that Allah had placed for people to come and benefit from. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu realizing that would just bring scores of people in the in the company of the Prophet and allow them to benefit. You know the famous story when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu when he had uh, when he had converted. Right, the Prophet sallallahu Okay. When uh, when the when uh, when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu when the Prophet had had come to him Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu came to the Prophet or or they had met right after the Prophet had received Nubuwa, and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet what is it that you're preaching because all these people are talking about this new this this new thought that you brought forth. So the Prophet told Abu Bakr anhu that I'm the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Abu Bakr, and, and this is what we learned from the story, right? That Abu Bakr anhu, without hesitation, in just a split second, without thinking twice, accepted Islam at the hands of the Prophet. Immediately, right? He's, he's known to be that one individual who not uh, who, who didn't even question the Prophet, didn't think twice about accepting the Prophet as a messenger of Allah. Okay, we know that story. But then what happened after that? And it comes in Al-Bidayah uh, uh, Nihaya. So it says that Abu Bakr, once he had accepted Islam from the Prophet, he, he, he left. Right? And what did he go? He went to go bring other people to the Prophet right away. That was, his, that was his next step. He went to go bring, and who did he go bring? And it comes in narration. He brought four people that, that, that day to the Prophet. He brought Uthman bin Affan, radiallahu anhu. He bought, he brought Zubair ibn al-Awwam radiallahu anhu. He bought, he brought Talha bin Ubaidullah radiallahu anhu. And he brought Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu anhu. That was his next step. To go bring these four people into the company of the Prophet The Prophet tells them about deen and they accept Islam at the hands of the Prophet right there and there. And then the following day, he invites Abdul Rahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu. To come to the Prophet and Abdul Rahman bin who also accepts Islam. Amazing. Now, who are these five people that we just mentioned? Uthman, Uthman bin Affan. And there's different narration of Uthman entering the deen, but if we take this one, Uthman bin Affan radiallahu anhu, Talha bin Ubaidullah anhu, Zubayr bin Awam radiallahu anhu, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu, and Abdul Rahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu. These are five of the Ashara Mubashara. The five, five out of the ten people that are guaranteed Jannah by the Prophet. Guaranteed Jannah by the Prophet. And look individually how much each of them accomplished. Who was Zubair radiallahu anhu? And who was the progeny of Zubair radiallahu anhu? And who was the family and the wife of Zubair radiallahu anhu? And what did they accomplish? And Talha radiallahu anhu. And how amazing of a person Talha was. And Uthman bin Affan, I mean, how much can we say about him? He led the Ummah. He was the Khalifa of the Ummah, which means he was the one that was responsible 
for the Ummah, and, and Abu Bakr anhu is attributed with this. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, Abdul Rahman bin Awf, how much did he contribute to the deen financially? Like, he was the billionaire of the time that contributed so much financially and brought so much benefit to the deen. And all of that benefit of those five people, the Ashara Mubashara, all comes into the lap of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. So he gets all of the reward for anything they have done after they accepted Islam. Everything they've done, all the deeds they had performed, all the people they then guided toward Islam and toward Deen, it all comes into the uh, into the lap of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And then it begins to make sense. This is why he was who he was. This was his desire. Now he didn't stop there, right? So that following that he brought the Rahman bin Auf, and he brought. Arqam bin al-Arqam. So one thing was that he directly brought people to the Prophet or directly brought deen to these people. But then he facilitated deen as well. So he brought Arqam bin al-Arqam, Abil al-Arqam. Who was he? He was that individual, the Sahabi of the Prophet whose house was the first place of gathering for the Muslims, Dar al-Arqam. So Abu Bakr brought Arqam radiallahu anhu whose house then became the gathering place for the early Muslims, and then more people benefited from that place. That's where Umar radiallahu anhu had accepted Islam. It was in Darul Arqam. That's where Musa ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu accepted Islam. It was in Darul Arqam. So not all of what they subsequently do because of the facilitation of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu ends up in the lap and in the, um, in, in the, uh, in the lap of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Incredible. So five of the Ashara Mubashara. Then he facilitates Darul Arqam, right? By, by bringing this person into Islam. And, and it doesn't stop. But who, what happened with Bilal radiallahu anhu? Right? Bilal radiallahu anhu tortured uh, by Umayyah bin Khalaf and, and amongst uh, other Quraysh. And it was Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu who went to the master of Bilal radiallahu anhu and basically wrote a blank check. Whatever you want for this person, I'm willing to write it because this person needs to come into the fold of deen. Or this needs to come under our umbrella. Let's put it that way. Because otherwise, Bilal who potentially, Allah could have been enslaved indefinitely if it wasn't for the work of Abu Bakr or Bilal could have been tortured to the point of death if it wasn't for Abu Bakr coming and essentially writing a blank check and saying, I'll pay whatever you want for this person. And after he took Bilal radiallahu anhu, then his, his master said to, said to Abu Bakr, you know, like, this person, he was basically trying to uh, uh, degrade Bilal radiallahu anhu, and he said that, you know, even if you would have given me one, like one dirham or one, one unit of, 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 uh, of currency, I would have given it to you. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, even if you were to ask me for a hundred, I would have, I would have given it to you. Meaning, don't, don't degrade who this person is. Right, so he brings Bilal radiallahu anhu, recognizing that this person is a believer and his value. And who does Bilal radiallahu anhu become? He becomes a mu'adhin of our, of, of our history. And everyone that studies the adhan or adhan or learns about the adhan or tries to mimic the adhan, it all comes to Bilal radiallahu anhu. So not all of that potentially goes into Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's bag of rewards. And not just reward, but even then his iman. And even then, his spiritual state, right? And this is, you know, it's it's this effort that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu put that that gave him such that that, that the reward of which isn't just going to be seen in the hereafter, right? When he's uh, after the Prophet, he's the highest in rank. It was seen even in his lifetime, right? It was it's because of this fervent effort and this we could say enthusiasm to bring people to Deen that it was Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu the Prophet ﷺ, uh, had traveled with to Hijrah. 
right? And that the most special journey or migration that's ever taken place in the history of man was with the Prophet Sallallahu and who? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. I mean, everybody, you can ask a three-year-old child about the Hijrah and they'll tell you it was the Prophet and it was Abu Bakr. Everybody knows this. It was that special of a journey, right? We would have died to have been in that position. Right? It was because of this enthusiasm of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu that Allah Ta'ala says about him and the Prophet in, in, uh, or the Prophet says to him. And then it becomes referenced in the Quran when they were in the cave of Thawr, لا تحزن إن الله معنا Don't fear, don't worry. Allah is with us. What a dream come true for if even if, if someone could tell me, right, and could say with definiteness that Allah is with me, like, how do you get that? Right? How do you get that stamp of approval that Allah is with you? This is what you and I are striving for night and day. Like, this is the purpose of our dhikr, and this is the purpose of us coming to the masjid, is so that someone can tell us, or some stamp can come down, or some wahi could come and tell us that Allah is with us. And who gets that? Abu Bakr radiallahu It was his tireless effort to bring people to doom recognizing that whatever that person subsequently did would end up in his account as well. You know, and it's interesting because this, look how active he was, or not just active, look how proactive he was in this. But you don't see him being like this loud and, um, you could say, loud and, and uh, noticeable sahabi, right? It, you know, like Umar anhu had a presence, right? Like everybody was afraid of him and you mentioned his name and it struck fear into the hearts of people and, you know, but like, you don't hear that about Abu Bakr, right? He was like, he was known to be this quiet, frail, by himself type of person. But look how proactive he was behind the scenes, right? You, you don't, you don't, even like, he didn't talk much. He was so worried about what he said about the Prophet that you will find very few hadith narrated from Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Right, you have other Sahaba that narrate, like his daughter Aisha, who narrate. You know, they narrate hundreds of thousands of hadith and Abu Huraira and these companions, right? And so you get this feel that these people, you know, they, they're the testimony of these people is that they had narrated so many hadith. But you don't see that about Abu Bakr radiAllahu anhu. In fact, it was the opposite. You almost he's like that person that would sit in the back of the gathering quietly. Like that's that's the kind of person who would be, you know, quiet and and not really saying much. That was like who he was. But look. Look at what he accomplished. And then he was honored with the first responsibility after the death of the Prophet. So, it's important for us to appreciate this. Because as we're treading this path of trying to become close to Allah Ta'ala, we either rely on our own deeds, which is very challenging, or we rely on other people, which is much easier. You know, even looking back at my own life, like if I was to like try to rely on my dhikr and my Quran and all, I mean, there's so many inconsistencies, right? And, and staying away from sin, I mean, it's very difficult, right? We try, the routine is there, the effort is there, we're, we, we work on ourselves, there's no doubt about that. But, but that's a difficult way alone to progress. True progression occurs when you begin inviting other people to progress because now you're Efforts are multiplied. And the effects of your efforts are multiplied. So that now it's not just one person trying to become closer to Allah. It's as if a hundred people, uh, the effort of a hundred people bringing one person closer to Allah. That's what happens. So we should be, we should think about it this way, right? This is the easy way. Easy in the sense of, 
uh, I mean, it's easy in the sense of it requires, um, there's less chance of failure. It's hard to depend on ourselves, right? But we can, if we bring other people to our deen, the way Abu Bakr who brought people to our deen, it becomes very easy. And so this should be even sometimes at the expense of our own personal routine. Like, it, we should think about it like this. Our spiritual benefit is partly dependent upon our routine, but largely dependent upon who we can bring into the routine. Our spiritual benefit is partly dependent on, and, and this is why many years ago I had asked my shaykh, like, uh, when, when I sit down for like dhikr, right? And, and I have a certain amount of dhikr I'm supposed to do every day. Would it be better for me if an opportunity comes to help someone else out? Or someone else needs to be, someone else, I'm trying to bring someone else into deen. Or I'm trying to facilitate someone else's deen for them, right? Would it be better for me to cut back on that, my personal dhikr at the expense of, of going out of the way for someone else, right? And he said, absolutely. He said, yes, you should. Yes, you should. Because that person, their whole life could completely change. And if their whole life completely changes, with no effort you put in on your own, that person's lifetime worth of effort is going into your basket. Why not? Why not? And in fact, in the early stages of Suluk, when you're working, like uh, the initial stages, yes, there's a very high emphasis on your personal routine and your personal dhikr and your lessons and things of that nature. But eventually you reach a stage where the vast majority of your spiritual benefit now doesn't come from your own dhikr. It actually comes from the effort you put on other people. So much so that you almost, I don't want to use the word abandon, but you almost abandon your own routine for the sake of the rest of the ummah of the Prophet And that actually becomes the mechanism by which you, you elevate, right? So it's important for us to understand this. And we take this back with us, right? I mean, yeah, we, we try to be consistent in the gatherings. We try to be consistent in coming to the masjid. We try to be consistent in all of these things. But we don't leave anyone behind. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he didn't leave anyone behind. What if he had ignored the call or the, the, the torture of Bilal radiallahu anhu? What if he had left alone bringing Uthman radiallahu anhu into deen? Like, what, look, what would have happened to the ummah? What would have happened to Abu Bakr? Right? So we don't leave anyone behind. So we have to go back into our own communities. We have to go back to, into our own circles, our own social circles, our own families, and find those people that seem to be sincere, that seem to have qalab, and bring them into deen. And bring them toward Allah. And bring them toward working uh, on their connection with Allah. If we want to advance ourselves. Right? It's not about just, I need to bring this person. It's that I need to uplift myself. So the way I'm going to uplift myself is by bringing other people. There's a subtle difference. And in fact, the drive, the motivation is, is, is greater if you use that. Yeah, it's difficult to be selfless and to always think about other people. But if you think that, well, human nature is that I'm going to be selfish. Well, then I might as well be selfish about my spiritual state, which means that I have to be selfless toward other people, which means I have to sacrifice my time. I have to sacrifice my sleep. You know, if there's something that you can give your routine up for or partly cut back on, it's not going to be because you're lazy or because you want to watch something on TV or because you're too busy with something else. The only excuse that a person can genuinely have is that I'm using this time to work on bringing other people to it. That's the only excuse that a person can have. So we have to dig deep and not leave anyone behind. Look into our own families, look into our own communities and bring them toward gatherings where Allah is remembered. Bring them toward people that can remind them about Allah, recognizing that my spiritual state, my suluk, my own training is dependent upon this. 
My own training is dependent upon this. And until I can appreciate and recognize this, I will relate, remain relatively stagnant in my deen. Because if I'm not working on other people, that means I'm depending on myself. And we know what happens when we depend on ourselves. Right? We begin to become consistent in our routine, and then we involve ourselves in this major sin. And all of that goes down the drain. And then we begin to become consistent in our routine, and something distracts us in the dunya, and then we turn our attention away for a few weeks or a few months, and then we come back. It's just this constant up and down, up and down. We're, just, we're not going anywhere. So rather than, you know, rather than get worried over that, or rather than become frustrated over ourselves, channel that attention and that effort and that, and that, and that enthusiasm on other people, the way Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu channeled his enthusiasm toward other people as well. Recognize that this is important for us. It's important for our deen. It's important because this is, uh, because we are dependent upon this. We are dependent upon this. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you and I the tawfiq to, uh, to uh, appreciate who Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu truly was. And may he subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us to bring people into deen and closer toward him, uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way our pious predecessors had. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to exponentially grow in our deen through our efforts and through the efforts of others that we've brought toward deen.